brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed your Independence Day. It was awesome having uh, Brad Thorne Studio, who was definitely an A-list guest. And USA, USA. In this episode, we have a, a D-list guest. <laughs> no, I mean, just a writer <laughs> for this site. It's just funny. You go from New York Times bestselling author to Kurt, who we all know. Ian, what a dick. <laughs> what a dick move. Until Kurt writes a New York Times bestseller. 18 of them in a row. Yeah, exactly. 18. Sorry, Kurt. You know what I was um, interested by, by, uh, by the way? I didn't realize this. So... It actually does seem like he may have branched off one time, Brad Thor, because I was looking at his entire, um, like, you wouldn't say discography, that, that's recording. Well, what does it mean when you go, like, your entire your catalog your catalog of books? Yeah, and so he has 18, but apparently one of them was not entirely a Scott Harvath book. It was, uh, no, that was, that was the, the one I read, The Athena Project. Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it was like a spinoff. It's about, like, uh, four women who they are, like, JSOC girls doing their own operation. It's like a spinoff of the, of the series he writes. It seems like he d- didn't continue with that, though. Yeah, it's probably too, uh, too much. I mean, if he's writing one book a year, you know, with that, that main protagonist, I mean, now he's got to pump out two a year? Like, that's... Yeah, I noticed because I noticed the year he did the Athena project, he did two books that year. That's crazy, man. So yeah, it may, it may have been him branching out and thinking, might, oh, I'll do it, something It might have been his wife, like... No, like you need to sit at the dinner table. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I also saw, by the way, on Twitter that he um, he did write. I'm uh, ending like the promotional tour of this book due to a family emergency. He just oh, wrote really? That. I didn't. Yeah. Know so that. hopefully, oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. Yeah. Hopefully, everything is all right. I he just wrote that, so no specifics of what it was. Um, the other things to get to, I guess, are the uh, woman climbing the Statue of Liberty in uh, protest of ICE. That was like entertaining. <laughs> that was some entertainment for your July 4th. Yeah. Well, no one knew why she was doing it at first. Every, I just saw everybody on Twitter and Facebook saying... Performance art. Yeah, someone climbing the Statue of Liberty. But I just saw the, the ESU guys, which is like New York City's uh, version of the SWAT team, the emergency services unit, and they also do high-risk rescues, um, which could be like... Um, I don't know, something like going down into like subway tunnels or like like high angle, like re- that involves like rappelling and stuff like that. They can do, they do those like high risk rescue missions also. Um, so I guess that's why they got thrown that bone and had to go deal with the woman climbing up the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, I- I'm not surprised by, by what she was protesting, though. You know, if people want to be fair, Donald Trump gets blamed for a lot of like violence that goes on that is politically driven on the right. 
then I think when you have this woman on the left that we've mentioned who just got elected to Congress and calls ICE a terrorist organization and they're operating at black sites, like, don't be surprised if someone who's probably mentally unstable does something like that. Well, this. I mean, to be fair, that young woman who was elected to Congress, oh, I mean, what she has said is a drop in the bucket compared to what <laughs> so many of our other politicians have said. Including, especially Donald Trump, I yeah, mean, nonetheless. I, but I do think calling ICE a terrorist organization is very, it, it, like, that's a very heated thing to say. Oh, it is. A, it is very heated, and it's inappropriate. But, I mean, you had Ed Snowden accuse our entire, uh, you know, government uh, in, intelligence community of spying on American citizens. And what did our government do? They said, we're going to look into that. They never said, that's bullshit. That's not true. Yeah. They were participating in, in legal activities that we ordered them to do. Our government didn't say that. They rolled over like a bunch of little girls. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Um, and then the last thing to mention before we get over to Kurt is uh, I just saw that Ed Schultz died. I was not necessarily like an Ed Schultz fan, but he was a part of, uh, you know, the commentary news industry, I guess you would say. And uh, I just thought it was interesting, like near the end of his career, he went from MSNBC, which everybody on there pretty much blames Russia for everything to going to the um, Russian owned RT news network. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they offered him a good deal. Yeah. But uh, rest in peace to him, you know, regardless of like if you're politically on his side or not, you know, he was a guy who was very passionate about what he did, obviously. And uh, they say he died due to natural causes. But, you know, no one should be dying like in their I think early to mid 60s. He wasn't. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he was that old. Yeah. Not an old guy. That's too bad. um, Rest in peace. Um, And with that, we will get over to uh, Kurt. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's... I see, Kurt, you're wearing your patriotic wife beaters today. <laughs> I just didn't change since yesterday, really. <laughs> <laughs> so joining us on the podcast back on is Kurt Schroeder, former Marine American volunteer with the Peshmerga. And I, I'll throw myself under the bus. I was jokingly saying that last episode we had on an A-list guest like Brad Thor. And then we followed up with a D-list guest like Kurt Schroeder. And I, and, and I was saying, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, that's what you I know said. What? I, I get to tell everybody I'm famous now. I'm on the radio. He was doing you, he was doing you dirty, Kurt. But as Jack said, you would, ha- you would have celebrity. to write 18 New York Times bestsellers to be of Brad Thor status. So that's you know, I, I wrote a couple sentences the other day on Facebook and <laughs> <laughs> coming along. Classic. So how was your uh, July 4th, man? Oh, uh, it was um, pretty dang good, actually. Did like a little barbecue with the family, watched some fireworks. Um, yeah, pretty relaxed. Um, my power went out halfway hurt. through the day. Somebody blew up something somewhere, but I don't know if you heard Jack there. I was just saying barbecues are racist. Yeah, well, you know me. I'm throwing out uh, what was it, <laughs> Aryan Nation hand signals? Oh, at, yeah, uh, the white white, white power hand signals out at uh, the shot show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was a good one. When the what was it? He was, he was Kurt giving the OK sign, and some dude on Twitter jumped on and was like, "He's giving crypto white supremacists hand and arm signals." We're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> because like when you're giving the OK sign, apparently like the three fingers up, stand or, or a W, oh, and when you have three the, Ks or something, and then your pointer finger closed, making a circle with your thumb is the P, white power. Oh, that's freaking ridiculous. Really? For okay. real? Yeah. I didn't even know that until that guy no. on Twitter started heckling you. 
is what it is. The more, the more you know. <laughs> I am not. I am not. A, I am not. By the way, white power. <laughs> so you say, Kurt? So yeah, you, say. you know. I'd have to go and inspect this barbecue of yours, aka white nationalist get together <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. Bring your linen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. People are too much, but we're, we're going to get into that uh, later on today. We're going to start doing our uh, So Woke segment, or, oh. or should we say Woke Tard segment, which was suggested <laughs> by someone on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Someone else came on, though. I'll, we need to do a, a segment, I'll special find segment who that was that. to at least give By the way, that Woke credit. Veterans uh, podcast you guys did was absolutely amazing. Like... I, I almost heard like big Sarge Murphy come out and almost. like start knife handing people. Almost a little bit of you know corporal uh, team leader uh, coming out in me a little bit. I was getting I was I was mildly perturbed by that entire uh, sequence of events. It was a little frustrating. I'll I'll, I'll say that much for it. It was Michael yeah. Stefano, by the way, who tweets us a lot. Great dude, um, who suggested the the hashtag so woke segment. So we'll do that at the end the of the woke show. tards. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I was kind of disappointed, though, Kurt, because, I mean, I kind of dropped a JDAM on their HQ right there on Cobra Commander's lair. And, uh, you know, these kids are supposed to be like the king of irony and sarcasm and, and all that woke takes and all that good stuff. And I mean, not a single rebuttal has been advanced against that podcast to this day. I mean, not a, they couldn't say shit. And it, it, was just, it, it was fun to watch them scatter like cockroaches, but... You know, I'm sure they'll come back. Cockroaches tend to infest certain areas. Well, it sounds like you hit them pretty good then. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is the smart ones know better than to open their mouths. It's like we'll just like let this thing blow over. The dumb yeah. ones open their mouths. You know, it, it's, it's just interesting to see how people respond. Definitely. So uh, getting into what you've been up to, man, as people know, I think that read the site, you're one of our regular writers and – you're working on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I just started doing the uh, tuned, by the way, which is um, just pretty fun, to be honest, because uh, I've gotten to learn a few uh, historical events I didn't know about, like the uh, the Berlin airlift. So I, a lot of these things, I have, I have to go research these things for the articles or the, the tune write-ups. And uh, and then uh, I've been working on a lot of stuff just article-wise, which is trying to keep up with the Middle East because it's kind of died out in people's minds, but there's still a lot of re- very relevant things happening you know yeah yeah no i, I definitely agree i mean it, it, it seems like the media has definitely shifted their attention like and you know kurt because you were there too i mean 2015 2016 even 2016 is starting to die off but for for mm-hmm. sure like 2014 2015 into 2016 was like the the isis clickbait years isis 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 yeah. everywhere it, yeah, it, it was like just like now trump has to be in every headline three three or four years ago isis had to be in every headline yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, just because the media has diverted their attention doesn't mean you should stop paying attention to what's happening in, in Syria or Iraq, because Lord knows something else will happen and we're going to be right back over there. Definitely. Well, and, you know, that's kind of interesting. I don't think we're planning on leaving. I just wrote about that today because um, who was it? Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham just held a meeting with a. President uh, Erdogan in Turkey, who's been and, on the podcast, um, by the way. They're um, Lindsey Graham, not Erdogan, but yeah, <laughs> that would have been something. Um, 
But uh, yeah, and they were basically discussing about the future of Mombish, and um, mm-hmm. right now there's coordinated patrols happening between independent but coordinated, so they're not bumping into each other out there in the sticks uh, between the Turkish forces and the U.S. coalition-based forces. Um, and it sounds like the last of the YPG that actually where the banner YPG uh, pulled out uh, the beginning of this month. And it's strictly um, the Mombij military council and the SDF forces there. And it sounds like they're trying to make that dividing line because Erdogan wants Mombij, but the U.S. doesn't want to give it up. Yeah, well, we have the airfield there. Right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. I think why the Kurds and the SDF in general, I mean, I think they understand they're going to have to have some sort of negotiated settlement with the Assad regime at some point. Um, and you see the indicators. I mean, they're not dumb. They understand that they're going to have to, they're not going to be able to continue like this forever. They're going to have to figure out some sort of long-term solution. It's interesting. It's, it's a slowly developing situation, but there is stuff happening in Syria still. And, um, I don't know. I think it's just not catching the headlines anymore, but it's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I I was trying to say before is that it's one of those things like everyone's attention is diverted to whatever the latest, you know, bullshit is here. You know, some, uh, you know, big game hunter killed a giraffe in Africa. We're angry about that. And then the next day we're angry that some kids are eating Tide Pods. But I mean, eventually it's going to swing full circle, come back around to, you know, uh, is anyone really so dumb and so naive that they think Iraq isn't going to be back in the headlines, that something else isn't going to pop off over there? Uh, You know, absolutely. Like, no, it's well, I mean, think about it now. That's the other thing I read about is uh, how we pulled out the Iran nuclear deal Mm -hmm. and the repercussions are being felt like on their end and our end. But mostly what uh, we're seeing right now is with uh, Muqtada al-Sadr being elected for Iraqi parliament, which is if nobody remembers, <laughs> he was the enemy back in OIF. He was like Sada public was enemy number one at a at one point. Yeah, like no joke. He was the guy, and suddenly now he's the head of parliament. <laughs> so, and and basically, um, because of his heavy uh, Shiite background, um, there's a lot of ties there to Iran, and they're sending big heads of military and the Republican Guard down to meet with him and talk about future plans and relationship between Iran and Iraq. Um, there's stuff happening and um, we better keep an eye on it. Cause I mean, that's, that's like our longstanding right now. They're kind of a, we have a longstanding relationship militarily with Iraq, but uh, I don't know. I may, it worries me that Iran's trying to kind of sneak them out from under us. If, if you will. Well, I mean, I think it's already happened to a large extent. I mean, to what, how have things shaken out with the Shia militias in Iraq? Where, where did they end up settling down? Sure. I mean, you know, well, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and and yeah, that's the funny part. They're uh, they're an official part of the Iraqi military now. Like they're recognized. They get like veterans disability and stuff. And um, I actually wrote about that. Like they have a legit, you know, if you uh, retire from the hostile shabby or get injured while fighting, you get like disability from the government now. And uh, um, it's kind of interesting in that regard, too, because they're. Um, been, they've been operating, caught operating in Syria. Like we just jdammed the hell out of, um, uh, it was like a platoon of hostile Shabi and some, uh, what's it, al-Nusra. But nobody, like the uh, the JOC in Iraq were like, yeah, we, we don't have any units operating in that area. But they were like legit Iraqi nationals and hostile, a hostile Shabi unit. 
I mean, some so, of them, some of them were actually invited in by Syria, which was really. I, I'd love to know what the deep politics behind that settlement or that negotiation was. Like, why would yeah. the Syrian government invite yet another player <laughs> into their country? <laughs> like, well. We got all these guys already. We might as well bring one more. <laughs> well, I'm sure it involved the Iranians, of course. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and yeah, Iran's trying to set up that uh, that corridor into uh, Palestine. Yeah. So the Middle East never changes. Well, the more it changes, the more it stays the same, you know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I I think we all have similar frustrations with that part of the world. And I'm, I'm sure no one feels that way more than the people who actually have to live there. Uh, you know, I, I wrote an article about Missoula when we retook it. Um, I mean, quite cynical of me, but I mean, I, I think there's some truth to it that it doesn't really matter that we retook Missoula. How many more times are we going to see these cities change hands during our lifetimes? Right. We've already seen them change hands like what, five, six times or something since we removed Saddam. And uh, you know, and I re- – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I uh, I touch on this in almost every article because I'm like uh, – the the um, Iraqi paramilitary forces or hostile Shabi and every other small militia taking Kirkuk from the Kurds. Like there it, – it's just it, – that was a, a big shift in yeah. power because Kurds had a lot of power with that city and now they do not. They, they really, they they really wanted just, it too. Yeah, really, seriously because the oil trade would have made them um, – uh, alone, but also like, and now they're trying to, it's like, you feel the Kurdish politicians like doing this, this air of confidence, like they're fronting, like, yeah, no, we're demanding this of Iraq. And they're telling people this and that, but really it's like, they don't have a leg to stand on. It's like, or what, what Iraq tells you is what goes. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's, it's interesting. I mean, did they get anything in return for giving up Kirk Cook so easily? No. Uh, well, so what I understand is that, um, uh, some higher ranking members in the PUK basically struck a deal with Iran. So it was, um, it was money that changed. Yeah, hands. for sure. And uh, maybe some oil trade rights. I'm not sure. But um, and then there was an investigation like the the uh, the KRG or, or the Iraqi central government. One of the two uh, ordered an official investigation to the, the heads of the PUK. And I don't think anything ever came of it because, you know, it's the fucking mafia. So. And because of the way things work in that part of the world, I mean, a lot of the Kurds blamed us for it immediately. <laughs> They're like, oh, that, that was you. You you greenlit that. It's like, well, wait, hold on a second now. Yeah. And the the other part was like they, they betrayed – like people were screaming in the streets like, America betrayed us. Why didn't you fight Iraq when they came to – like, dude, we're not going to fight Iraq like coming into Kirkuk. Yeah, we're like, not going to – you know, I, the other funny part, like, it's funny. That's like a very Kurdish thing. And I, I don't get me wrong. I love the Kurds to death. But that whole, like, the U.S. like owes us this. Like, you owe us to, like, in that regard of, like, you should be fighting. You should be fighting them. Like, hang on. We we just fought, like, the majority of the Islamic State conflict for you. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Now you want us to do this too? Like, at this point, it's been three years, you know, we held the line for you, fought side by side. It's your turn to, you know, take the reins and, like, you know, if you want this, take it. We'll yeah. Keep it. I, mean, I remember sitting in the office of this, uh, he's, uh, he was a PKK party member who, long story short, I mean, he was an arms dealer. And um, I remember... I, I brought up in conversation, you know, it's like, you know, I just mentioned in passing, you know, 
I can't speak for our government, of course, but you know, maybe part of our hesitation in arming you guys is that if we arm the, the party, that you guys, after the war with ISIS is over, you guys are going to turn those weapons on the Turkish government. And you like sat there and look, like, look me in the eye, slapping on the desk. That will never happen. I promise you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, uh, you know, yeah, I love the Kurds too, but um, there, there's uh, deep in the, uh, in the Kurdish soul is the desire for their own state. Uh, and rightly so, but there's also a deep-seated desire to fight almost every every single country and party around them. Everybody, yeah, like yeah, they're our enemy, they're our enemy. Like, and then they, well, this was a funny part. Like, like when they can't find anybody outside of their state or they can't manage a fight with them, they fight each other. Yeah, <laughs> they had a civil like, war in like '96 or '97. Yeah, the um. The general of my uh, the last brigade I was with in in the Peshmerga, he under orders from Kasu Rasul Ali, which was um, a good friend of uh, Jalal Talabani, and basically like the vice president of the PUK. Yeah, so this general, which is like his boy, like one of his right hand men at the time, back when they were young guys fighting in the Civil War, uh, the shit went down, and he he ordered him go down to Suleimania and kill the mayor. So he like straight went down there <laughs> in public and shot him in the face and his wife showed up and slit the throats of his like wives. Holy like, shit. Like his used murder too. Yeah, like old school hood rat shit. God like, damn. Yeah, they murked them all and then – and that's why he got put in charge of the uh, the privatized brigade of the PUK because he's like, you have shown loyalty. Like it's it's old school the way they do stuff. I remember and, meeting with, they, uh, with General Joffre. And I mean, yeah. he, and having that conversation with him about the Civil War, and he like referred to it as like this great mistake. <laughs> I was like, well, Shake Joffer. I, I don't think I met him, but I'm pretty sure I met one of his right hand dudes on the way out because uh, we had a hard time getting those exit visas. Yeah, and I remember I was fucking. I met your wife down in her bill because she was at the teacher's thing. I, don't <laughs> I remember. I was that. like, Hey, yeah, yeah. Betty, what are you doing here? Yeah, and she's like, What are you doing? I'm like, We're just trying to leave. <laughs> I, yeah, I remembered you guys. You you had outstayed your visas, and then you had to figure out. You know, you you were like undocumented workers in the United States, <laughs> and ICE was coming to get you. I I was still good because I had like basically when my visa expired. Again, this is the power of the political parties. There, this uh, um, okay. So was it Casa Russell's son, Shalal um, Russell? He basically basically we talked to him, and I was like, dude, I've been here like over a year and I never got a visa and he's like, Oh shit. He's like, hang on, I'll make a call. Just go to the airport. So I walk up to the airport at customs, mind you of the Sulemini airport. And literally this right hand man show walks over to the mm-hmm. customs officer and was like, he's good. Let him through. <laughs> Just walk through dude. This was the airport at Sully. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean that, that airport is, been, yeah, the party is all over that. So, I mean, that explains a lot of it, but no, you're absolutely right. Like people don't understand like how differently things work in, in Kurdistan. It's all about who, you know, um, and you think like, like the time when I went over there and I met with you and I was able to go and interview, um, Palat Talabani, um, mm-hmm. who's, he's like the, the CTG commander, the equivalent, their equivalent of like the Delta force commander. And I mean, just think about that, that like some dude like me just rolls into town and because I'm able to work some connections and some personal relationships, I'm able to right. go and interview that guy and, and sit in his office and talk to him, have a conversation. Like 
if you come to America, especially if foreign journalists comes to America, it's like, I want to interview the Delta Force commander. Like, that will never, ever happen. Yeah, but in yeah. Kurdistan, all of these possibilities are, are uh, it feels like they're kind of open in a sense, depending on if you can make that personal connection to people. Definitely. I would say just like my time there, the biggest thing I did was networking, which is why I got to go and be with some of the the places and the things I did and that taking those opportunities as well. Like some, they're going to pop up randomly and you have to be able to jump on them. But the networking is huge. I mean, even on the low levels, like I always said, I always say in like any like foreign travel uh, article I write, I'm like, if you meet an English speaking taxi driver that's legit, tip them really well on that first ride, take that, their phone number down and usually they will come get you somewhere. That's like your, that's, your, in a pinch. that's your interpreter too. Yeah. So uh, it's when you you were bringing up about the uh, like hardcore uh, civil war stuff happening in Kurdistan. It reminds me of this uh, story. I was just thinking about it this morning for some reason. When I was in the Philippines, I was on like their version of Fort Bragg uh, at uh, Fort Magsaysay, and um, I was sitting there talking to this uh, Filipino officer, really nice guy, and he just kind of brings up out of like off the cuff, like how he participated in a coup in the Philippines and got into like, <laughs> and he got into a lot of trouble for it and a higher officer bailed him out. So like he, him and his unit were to participate in this coup attempt that was not that long ago either. And, yeah. um, his, his unit never moved because the, there's a communication breakdown. So he was a participant, but his unit, he never mobilized his unit because he didn't get the word in time. <sighs> Lucky. So yeah, like he, he, so he wasn't going to jail, but they knew he was in on it. So he, yeah. he was, he was <laughs> he in some trouble. Anything. So they pulled, they pulled him out. Um, and, and uh, somebody saved his butt. Um, and, and he's still, he's doing very good work now for the, for the Filipino military. Um, seems like a really good guy, but it's just funny, like how different things work in other parts of the world. I mean, the Philippines has like coups and attempted coups and counter coups, like really bad in the seventies and eighties. But even into, you know, much more recent times. Um, and uh, interestingly, a lot of it has to do with the lower ranking officers and enlisted guys seeking respect from their own government and their own chain of command because there's so much corruption up at the right. top levels that they're like stealing the paychecks of their men. Um, so the guys are starving, stuff like that. Was, and that's where a lot of those uprisings come from. Yeah, one of the units I was in in Kurdistan, um, it was a known fact that the uh, the general he skimmed. I think it was like ten percent off all the fuel they got, like allotment monthly. That's super and like common. and sold it off. Yep. Like, but it was just common. It was just known. Everybody knew, but nobody brought it up. It was you know just well, expected. Like like in Iraq, that is the whole reason why you become an officer. It's not because there's any um, prestige in that job. Um, or that it's for any of the pay or anything. It's because it gives you the opportunity for corruption and graft. Uh, the captain who was in charge of the ISWAT team that I worked with in Iraq in 2009, he was doing all of that. Uh, the fuel racket, he had that going on. He was stealing fuel from our fuel point. I caught them and made them force march them at, you know, one in the morning. But that's another story. Um, but he was also stealing their money. He was uh, taking equipment that was supposed to be for his men and selling that on the black market, all that kind Jeez. of shit. Yeah. That's just super typical. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, odd, strange world. <laughs> yeah, for real. You told me the story, the great story uh, about one of the guys you worked with in Kurdistan. Remember when they went and they, they torched the house of like the, the like prime minister's son or something like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
it was over something. Uh, it was it was a Peshmerga was wasn't getting Barzani's, paid. Barzani's like nephew's house. Yeah, or yeah, something yeah. Or something. And it was in Erbil. But anyway, so we're sitting there and like where the riots are going on. They're pissed at the prime minister. The PDK is catching the blame. Obviously, it's because the Pesh hadn't been paid in months, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm like watching these fucking riots on our television in our little break room where we smoke. We did the interview, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Like I have yeah. my morning chai. And uh, I'm watching these things and one of my instructors comes walking in and he's like – and uh, this guy is so awesome, Saudi. He, uh, not the guy you guys met. That was Hollis. That's my, one of my best friends. He's a really good guy. Um, but uh, they're, they're like close buddies. Um, anyway, Saudi comes walking in and he's like – Oh, looking really tired and haggard. I'm like, what's up, man? You tired? Like I'm kind of broken Kurdish or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm very sleepy or whatever, something like that. And he's like, look, Mr. Keenan. And he shows me, he pulls out a video on his phone and it's of him like throwing a Molotov at the son's house <laughs> at the riot. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, you hood rat motherfuckers are going to get me in trouble someday. <laughs> it's a different world out there, man. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, no pay problem. Like, <laughs> You know, in, in in a place like Kurdistan or the Philippines, politics is something that's much more participatory than it is yeah. here in the United States. You get down in the weeds and you participate in that shit. Yeah, <laughs> push it all along. <laughs> though the uh, the Philippines, though, man, I was a uh, I was just watching that uh, some of the footage coming out of there from when they were fighting in Marawi. Oh, Holy it was shit, brutal. Man. Yeah, and they're pretty good too. Those guys are pretty squared away. They got a good form. Yeah. The, uh, so, I mean, everybody ended up down in Marawi eventually. Um, but that was the guy I interviewed and I wrote some articles, uh, about him and, and quoting him, uh, general Pomonag and he got brought in and, and put an end to Marawi and put down that uprising the same way he did to, um, Zamboanga, uh, years prior. Um, but he's a really good guy. And general Pomonag is the guy who was pushing all along for a, um, a AFP, uh, Armed Forces of the Philippines, SOCOM. They had SOCOM before, but it was only for the Army units, for the Scout Rangers, mm-hmm. the Special Forces, and the Light Reaction Regiment. Um, so he he was pushing for a long time, and it finally just happened a few months ago, the creation of an, a military-wide SOCOM that brings in the Philippine SEALs. Um, I, I believe it's going to bring in the Marines, and it brings in the, a newer Air Force Special Operations Unit of Forward Air Controllers. Um, so that was really cool that, you know, that, that was kind of his dream and his legacy. Um, yeah. and, and it all happened. It's a big step. Yeah. But did you see that, uh, I, I threw an article up on it this week about, um, mayors being assassinated in the Philippines. There's two just in the yeah. last couple of days. I saw the video. Yeah. Well, by the way, that hindsight, man, that dude had some, uh, some know-how. Yeah, I mean, it, I, like I said in the article, I don't think it required a school-trained sniper, but, I mean, it was somebody who knew what they were doing. It wasn't just some dumbass. Some degree, yeah, 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 yeah. To some degree, for sure. Yeah, he had a little improvised hide sight he made out of the grass, and uh, and I, he, the shot was like 100 meters away, so, again, doesn't require a trained sniper, but yeah. a trained marksman, you know. It, it wasn't just some kid who picked up a gun for the first time. I don't know right. if you guys have seen similar similarly in Mexico, there's been a lot of like attempted assassinations oh, shit, yeah. on on those running for office. I, that, that's been happening forever. Yeah, the politicians getting whacked over but there. But currently, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a lot. Yeah, man. I mean, Mexico is a whole other 
ball of wax. I mean, I haven't even kept a close watch on Mexico uh, recent, yeah. in the recent uh, last couple of years. I, I probably should be because there's something like 30,000 murders down there in the last year. I mean, it, it, it honestly, it rivals what's been happening in Syria as far as like death toll. Which is why, yeah. you yeah. know, I think that I, I've, I've said it before, you know, not to get too off topic here because I do want to get back to the Philippine stuff and everything else we're talking about. But um, you know, when we do get into the issue of we were talking earlier about ICE and people coming over here and the whole border issue, I think a lot of, you know, we talk about coastal elites on the show. People in New York, I think, are really out of the loop of the negatives of people coming over here illegally. Oh, yeah, for sure. In that most of the people who come here to New York are family people who just want to work. But if you are, if you are a rancher in Arizona... You know, the people bringing those people legally over the border are oftentimes these Mexican drug cartels. And yeah. some of those people are going to wind up here. Yeah, no, we don't we don't feel illegal immigration like people down in Texas or Arizona. Sure. Not, yeah, Even no where, um, you know, up here in, in the north uh, Pacific Northwest area, we uh, that's like all all the farm farm hands out here. And I mean, yeah, we have Seattle and like Portland and everything which are like the hubs. But once you get outside of those cities, we're mostly farmland and, you know, um, and especially when you go over the mountains, uh, then you really, it's seriously nothing but farmland and desert. And we have, you know, it's funny because we're so far north, but illegal immigration is huge here. Well, I it's think... It's massive. They work in the factories because we have a lot of industrial stuff in the area. And, yeah, I was going to say that I think in New York we do feel it, but it's not in a negative sense. You know, we go places and it's just people who, you know, don't speak English who are working various jobs. Like... But not in the I, sense I, of, of being a rancher over there and having to worry all hours of the night of people coming on your land. When I say we don't feel it, I mean like illegal immigra- immigrants are kind of like invisible to us. Like they work in service sector jobs. Absolutely. Um, they're, you know, they're the people who mow our lawns. Yeah. You know, just being honest, I mean, they do a lot of, the, of like uh, groundskeeping right. work and stuff like that. Like they do Same a here. lot of jobs that probably most of us don't want to do if we don't have to. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we don't, I, I just think that we don't feel it in that sense that people who live down uh around the southern border feel it yeah i agree completely back to the the philippines though you know what i haven't heard like any crazy stuff recently about duterte i feel like for a while there he was on the news of he was almost like the donald trump to an extreme over there if he would make one insane statement after another i haven't heard anything um like Anything recently? No, he does. He still makes crazy statements and stuff. It's just you nothing know. to the extent of that he wants to uh, do to drug dealers or, or drug addicts. What Hitler did during the Holocaust, the Jews, the EJK. Oh, is that the guy around. who like said he was going to give out free guns to the citizens? Uh, I, I wouldn't yeah. put it past him of saying that. Yeah, he was like saying like we're going to give out free guns to citizens as long as they use them to hunt criminals and drug runners. <laughs> and they were like, there was some. I'm, I'm almost positive that was him. No, you know what? It, I felt like the press misconstrued some of those statements too, because really what they were talking about giving the guns is to um, uh, I can't remember the name of them off the top of my head. Um, uh, it's in my articles. I have to go and look it up. Um, but there are people that the Philippine special forces have trained as like surrogates, like the way RSF guys go overseas and train, you know, locals to be, uh, you know, to, to like basic foreign internal defense. The Phils do that also with their SF, but they're doing it domestically, internally. And that's what they were talking about, giving guns away to citizens. It's like giving it to, away to those guys that they trained to be like a constabulary force inside some of their communities. 
Now, on the flip side of that is that with those with those proxy forces that they've trained over the years, some of them have gone over to the dark side, just like the guys we train have done at, at times. So, uh, but I mean, it, I don't. It wasn't like the press made it out like there's going to be like Toys R Us handing out M16s to like 12 year old kids on the streets. You know, I don't, I don't think that's what he meant by that. Gotcha. Not that I'm I'm normally in uh, in the business of like defending Duterte and all the crazy shit he says. Um, but uh, and the that, citizens do like him, though. I mean, he is a guy who got fairly elected, at least as far as I know. Well, again, it's one of those things where the um, the the Philippine version of the coastal elites, the 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 media elites in the Philippines, they live on walled compounds, like literally walled compounds yeah. in Manila. Um, they have a pretty decent lifestyle for the most part. They don't feel the um, the crime that a woman coming home from work at midnight getting off the bus with her purse and she has to run past all these drug addicts and everything else and she's in fear physical fear for her life every day and the people who constitute the 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 elite class in the Philippines they just don't feel that the way the poor people down on the streets do and that's why there's a lot of like grassroots support for Duterte even as he says crazy stuff they're like they're so frustrated and so afraid that they are willing to turn to somebody like Duterte because he, he has that reputation of being tough on crime. Well, I could say yeah. this. There's, you know, there's no secret. We've talked about it before. A lot of the web design team at Hurricane Group is in the Philippines. We see them a couple of times each year. And, you know, I've talked to those guys about, like, just living in the Philippines. What do you think of Duterte? And their response is usually like, we love him. He's our leader. Interestingly, in, uh, in the Philippine military, um, the opinion is kind of split on him was my my perception of it some of it uh i mean some people support duterte because they see him as a reformer who's not going to be so corrupt um but there's others who um have a deep deep distrust of duterte because they're philippine military officers who grew up their entire lives fighting communism yeah and duterte a lot of people don't realize this he comes from the leftist side of the house he comes out of that communist left-wing background in the philippines he's not a, he's not a right winger yeah um, so when people compare him to Donald Trump, you have to keep that in mind also. But I, I, I think he's like Donald Trump. He has the same appeal from what I've seen. Populist that, appeal, yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and also he has that factor of like he says whatever he wants, doesn't care. If and he changes his mind at, the, at like the, the snap of your fingers. He'll contradict himself and he doesn't think anything of it. Like it doesn't – he sees no contradiction in his words. He hasn't been as vocally critical of uh, Donald Trump as he has been of Obama who he said is the son of a whore. He's been, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head specific insults against Trump, but he's been very critical of the United States. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, uh, if he said anything bad about Donald Trump though, in particular, I, I, and I think Donald Trump has said like that he likes him generally. And, you know, he's a, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he doesn't come from the same background as previous leaders is, is what I know. He's not a p- part of like the corrupt administrations before which were very tied into like the drug cartels over there. Look, Duterte, I can almost, uh, I, I don't want to say that I know this as a fact, but I would say there's a very high percentage that Duterte is being blackmailed by the Chinese government is working for them like almost directly. Wow. Because if you look at his actions and, and some of the maneuvering that's been going on and the way Duterte has completely failed to assert Philippine sovereignty, I think that the the Chinese got him by the balls. Interesting. I haven't heard that before. So. It's a likely tie. 
Yeah. Um, and it, all of that has to do, you can look at everything happening in South Korea. The Chinese, they have strong, uh, long-term strategic aims to get us the hell out of the South China Sea entirely. And then get us out of South Korea and get us out of the Philippines. And then they just need to get us out of Okinawa. But the good news is that we have a very strong tie, military-to-military military tie between the Philippine military and our military. One that's going to – it goes back like 100 years or something. So, I mean, it's, it's something that's so much stronger than – um, any one president uh, stronger than a Duterte or a Trump. It's something that is institutionalized. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, I mean, and you know, it's funny. I mean, I not quite my area of expertise, but from what I can tell they're uh, you know, their military guys are incredibly like, you know, they, they connect well with us. It seems very well, very well. And yeah. you know, uh, this is like just a, some practical advice for any of our soldiers heading over to the Philippines as they do every year for training exercises and so forth. Like when you go to the Philippines, don't think you're going on another deployment to Afghanistan. Like those people are not Afghanis. Like they're good soldiers and they, they're very well trained. Um, yeah. And some That's what I was saying in the videos. Yeah. I'm watching, watching a move, shoot, communicate. Mm-hmm. They're very proficient. Like that was, I was like, Holy shit. I really wish I had volunteered in this conflict. <laughs> yeah, they, they have their shit wired tight. And I mean, they have a ton of experience doing uh, jungle patrols, urban combat. Um, yeah, that ain't easy fighting either. I mean, maritime operations because it's an archipelago nation. Um, those guys have done a lot of stuff and they do a lot of stuff. Uh, and, you know, some of them would complain to me. They're like, you know, the Americans, they come over here, good guys. But some of the younger ones need to understand, like, this isn't fucking Afghanistan. <laughs> I even That's I met awesome. when I met I met uh, a bunch of American SEALs over there and uh, they did. They were doing good work. Like, don't get me wrong. Like they were sure. doing really good stuff working with the Philippine SEALs, the NAVSOG guys. But like one of the um, one of the SEALs was uh, walking around wearing a kafia. And, uh, like I met him and, you know, we, we bullshitted for a few minutes and it's like, okay, bro, like, thank you for your service, but you know, they don't wear kafias over here. Like, you know that, right? <laughs> Which one? What's the kafia? That, the, the fucking Arab schmegma rag that they, they Oh, the, sh- yeah, the schmegma. Yeah. Nice. The shema, shema. <laughs> the, um, yeah. Is the, the uh, schmegma literally mean, like, what's it yeah, like? Yeah, it's the it, shit under your dick fold. Yeah, anyway. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Jack. Well done. The um, no. I don't know what the hell that other word is for it, but the kafia, yeah. Shema, and uh, yeah, yeah, but he's wearing, like, the, the, the chic. Yeah, the You sh- know, funny story, Joey was shakes. like, we got to Iraq, and Joey's like, talking to this Iraqi guy who we were working with and he's like so what is that thing and he spoke really good English he's like it's a it's a whatever you know you wear it on your head and he's like yeah but what's the what's the tube is that a hookah tube (laughs) 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 and and this Iraqi guy thought it was hilarious so we gave me and him gave uh, Joey shit like yeah (laughs) Joey go ask to borrow that guy's hookah tube (laughs) Uh, but by the way, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna randomly ask because we have webcam on. Is Kurt working on a gun while you're on with us? <laughs> yeah, Dude, totally how good. how American I, is I, this guy? Like he's got his American flag tank top on, working on a gun. USA, <laughs> USA, <laughs> I USA. <love> it. <laughs> That's because I'm in the free part of the state, boys. <laughs> yeah, because I I knew I saw something. I'm like, is he working I, on a gun right now? I I just got some rails, so I'm <laughs> I'm trying to get them attached. That's awesome, dude. 
<laughs> but yeah. I know you're. A, I know actually, just from Shot Show, you're a big gun enthusiast. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of part of the you know the, the culture where I'm at, at. You know, we're out in the. We may be part of the hippie uh, portion, but uh, we're we're out in like the farmland country part. So a lot of people are into guns, and you know, given my background, it's just kind of always been something. So. Are you able to like shoot outside there or you have to go to a range? Like do you have land to do that? We – yeah. So it's kind of – like there are ranges and stuff and you can go to. Um, but I'm not rural enough to where I could just walk out my back porch. Um, there are places like that where you're just out in the middle of nowhere. But um, for us, we drive about 30 minutes up into the mountains and they have a nice big open spot for the public to come and shoot on public land, which is convenient. So It's just – it's so funny because it's just – I mean, I got to see that while right. I was in Vegas, but it's so foreign to us on the Northeast. Like, obviously, where I live, gun ranges and all that, but there are these, you know, there are these little buildings that, you know, are all indoors. Like, shooting outdoors is kind of outside you know, the norm around here. That's where I know I, there's, I stuff, there's places like, you can in PA, so I shouldn't say all the sure. Northeast. My whole thing is like, you know, and I kind of get like that argument. You hear the, the the liberal crowd like, oh, you shouldn't have those, this and that. And I get it because I'm like, yeah, where you live, it doesn't make any fucking sense to have an AR-15. But like, you know, guys, guys most of the people out here live on big swaths of land, you know, Kurt, I mean, and Kurt, stuff like you, that. Like, do you guys form citizens patrols? And uh, patrol the border of Canada to make sure there aren't frost packs yeah, coming across the border our linens. and taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just say while wearing our linens, Jack. Yeah, those damn we Canadians. <laughs> well, uh, they're smuggling maple syrup into the United States. Tariff-free maple syrup. Remember when we had Austin? Uh, it's Austin Peterson, right, on the podcast, the Libertarian. Oh guy. yeah. And I remember he said to me that we don't need a border patrol because we could just have citizens with their Second Amendment rights protecting the border. <laughs> Dude, that was ridiculous. That's a terrible idea. I know. Austin, <laughs> he, he, he I'm pro-gun, pro but I'm also like pro-training. I'm like, God, there's like you can go out to a public range here and you watch some serious rednecks like spraying all over the place. And it's like, Jesus, dude, take a class. Austin, like, just, yeah, he made a number of interesting claims when we interviewed him. That was the most ridiculous I thought of all of them. <laughs> you know, because a lot of the, the libertarian guys, and I can, I think both of us, and probably you too, Kurt, consider ourselves like pretty libertarian. Yes. But I'm not like a card-carrying, you know, member no. of the party or any of that. <laughs> and some of those guys are ridiculous with their views of like, that you can that's just freely the, that's flow to any country you want, like without your identification, and you know you just go <laughs> you wherever you want. Just show the cops any ID. You're a sovereign citizen. <laughs> yeah. No, we, no, dude. Like, I'm. That's the hard part about being a libertarian because you like tell people you're a libertarian, you're like, oh, you're one of those. Like, yeah, like you know, and there's doing, some, yeah. we get all the we get some serious wackos like with some, and then you meet the ones who are like. You know, we need to get rid of the fire department. We need to privatize the fire department. Like, really? That's your beef with uh, yeah, government? Yeah. <laughs> FDNY. We need to really get – like, yeah, that's my issue it's with the government. Yeah. yeah, come on. I mean some of these things fire work. You know, you don't need to – if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, but, yeah, I mean that's why the, the Libertarian Party is a complete mess and uh, can never get their act together <laughs> at all. <laughs> because, yeah, there's, there's, there are, there's a lot of weirdos who constitute – John McAfee running. <laughs> oh, God. You know, an another thing uh, that's uh, making me think about it because with, with, uh, I'm at Washington. I won't say where because I don't want fan mail. But, um, uh, you know, the other th funny thing is because we're, we're, we're pretty left as a state. But I mean, we're still pretty pro-gun. We have some some regulations, but I mean, it's you know, it's all pretty middle ground, yeah. 
And at the same time, we're also like the lead in legal marijuana. So it's like we are very libertarian and like, yeah, look, conservative side. USA. Like, USA. 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 Yeah. But so it's uh, it's kind of an interesting place when you get out to this side of the country. And I mean, Oregon's going that way, too. Um, shit, Oregon has laxer gun laws than we do, I think. I mean, they're, they're harder to get like a concealed carry permit, but like they can own machine guns. You know, we can't. So. As I've said before on the podcast, I think once the 3D printer gets popularized, I think a lot of this goes out the window of like what you can't own, what you can't own. They tried that and they put the kibosh on it quick. Like like the government was really fast about like, no, wait, you can't download. It's not even you can't print it. It's you can't download the specs. They made the specs illegal for the 3D printers. I'm pretty sure people get around that. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. But, you know, then you're not law abiding anymore. Yeah. Which. But that's the whole point behind the, you know, the whole argument against further gun laws is that like, yeah, if I want to print something off of a 3D printer, I can just do it. I mean, right as of now, you can, you know, if you own a CNC machine, you can make anything. A CNC yeah. and a lathe will get you anywhere. Yeah, out of the billet. Well, I mean, our, our government is so stupid. I mean, they, they don't understand how Facebook makes money. So, I mean, I don't see them effectively <laughs> regulating 3D printers anytime soon. You know yeah. what I mean? They have like when they have Zuckerberg on there and they're like, well, well gosh, Mr. Zuckerberg, how, how does Facebook make money? And he's like, oh, we run ads. It's like, wow, dude. Like, I, I kind of felt this is our government in action here. Moment. Like watching his face, he's like, you know, like, did you really just ask me that? Like, He's like, bro. <laughs> Bro, really? <laughs> yeah, it's like trying like like, to. It's like, geez, I prepped for a serious like grilling from you guys. Yeah, is this yeah. Is what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, you know, he sat down with like PR experts for like hours on end, going over every potential eventuality that could come up during that thing, yeah. and that's what they hit him with. <laughs> I think that's why he was delayed in answering. Like, it's like <laughs> it's like explaining the interwebs to your like grandfather. <laughs> but even even then, I mean, your grandfather probably knows more about the interwebs than our government does. And then that gets scary because it's like these are the same people. Like we're supposed to be engaged in like cyber warfare and cyber defense. Is Rudy Giuliani still our cyber czar? I, I have no idea, actually. That was the job he got put up for. I can't remember. I don't know if he's still in that position, but it's like. <laughs> yeah, he's not Ru- the guy I would want. <laughs> yeah, it's like Rudy Giuliani probably doesn't know how to use anything more, you know, more high tech than a typewriter. Yeah. How the hell is that guy going <laughs> to. What? But our president's on Twitter. Yeah, our president <laughs> on Twitter. Jeez. He is very effective <laughs> with it. So, but uh, all right, man. Well, great having you on as always. What are you working on uh, next for the site? Uh, this will be up tomorrow, Friday. So. Oh, it's here. I have I draw. I did a tune tuned on the air, uh, Berlin airlift today, um, and then I just dropped one about that meeting with Lindsey Graham and uh, Turkish president. Um, Maybe we should get Lindsey Graham back on the podcast. And then what else? Oh, Ian, we didn't talk about the signs though. The wonderful uh, fireworks signs. Oh yeah, well let's talk oh, about that then before we wrap. Because I just dropped the, t- I did the tune for that, and I gave everybody a fair warning. I'm like, I use some harsh language. <laughs> did you come across any upset. of those in the state? Of you're talking about the like, I'm a veteran. Don't yeah, you know. it's like please be courteous. Here, please be courteous with your fireworks. Like, and my whole thing is, it's literally like, the majority of people who have those signs are like. We're, you know, like on a ship somewhere in the Gulf like, or something. They're like a cook. 
it's funny because they, they actually – I remember when they first happened, like people started looking into it or were like calling out people who po- posted pictures of their signs and they were like dudes from their units like, yeah, I know that guy. He was a freaking armor or whatever, you know. like It's like some kind of like weird cry for help. Like look at me. Look at me. Yeah, well, it, for sure. It's like they want to be associated as combat veterans but then like – that sucks before actual combat veterans. Cause then you're just like, dude, I'm not some weird asshole who wants you to like cater society yeah. to me. I want to fit in with people and I'll adapt and improvise as needed. Like I'm a grown ass man who, you know, went through war. I don't need society to like be careful with their fireworks. Any, any Instead, co- I'll use my brain, look out the window, be like, Oh, it's 4th of July. There's fucking fireworks. Going I mean, on. F- fireworks. I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, of course, but just from like, I don't freak out at fireworks because it sounds distinctly different than gunfire. Yes. Like gunfire was, is, is very sharp because it's, yes. you know, the ballistics involved as opposed to a fireworks, which is a piece of cardboard with some like black powder in it and a fuse it just sounds totally different. Right. And I mean, the, the, the explosions are not nearly as compressed as say like an IED or, yeah. a, you know, it just, none of it sounds in. The only thing I say comes close is the mortar tubes and hearing them go out. Oh and yeah. I remember that, that, yeah. <laughs> Like you're boom, like when they shoot off and I'm like, I'm like, oh shit. Like, cause it, it sounds like the shit that was in the distance in Ukraine. But even then it wasn't like me for, it was like, oh, nostalgia. Like, I sounds like they're the, sending them out. If someone really felt that way, couldn't they just go on a vacation somewhere where they're not going to hear that? You know, would, if it's you? really going to, yeah. Rather than tell other people what to do. I Dude, agree. It's the 4th of July, be loud and proud. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's. <laughs> It's like, what, isn't that what you served for? Like, so people can celebrate this country. I do wonder, though, is it is it just a clickbait thing? Because I've never personally seen so. them driving around. You see, no, well, hang on, because when when it started, which was I was in Kurdistan, we uh, we we found it because we have nothing to do with the downtime, but like look at the internet, and there was an actual sign site sending out these signs and people posting pictures in the comment threads, and I'm in like hundreds and hundreds. With their new signs, posting mm. pictures like it was a real thing. Yesterday, like, like uh, fishing for sympathy was uh, Malcolm Nance was posting stuff on Twitter like, "Oh, it's so hard the Fourth of July." It's when I came back from the Gulf War, I realized those fireworks are really just colored explosives that sound just like eighty-two millimeter and hundred and twenty-two millimeter mortar rounds. I'm like. Really, bro? You, I mean, you were a Navy cryptolinguist. Like, were you really in the shit in the Gulf War? Like, you know. Also, isn't aren't the isn't the eighty two like ours? Eight, no, the eighty one <laughs> is ours. The eighty two is uh, the the Russian. Uh, is it okay? Yeah. I had that backwards then. Um, but yeah, either way, God, chill, man. Yeah, that's that was my whole target. Like, chill out, dude. They're fireworks. Yeah, chillax. Like, Go crack open another Corona. You're gonna be okay. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, where could people follow you and all that stuff as we uh, wrap this up? You know, you, you ask me that every time. You cannot. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not on any social media. I am, media. I am cool. a recluse. But you can follow me on SoftRep and you can read my <laughs> articles. And I am guarantee you uh, – well, I can't guarantee you. But most of the time I am in the comments section there if you're uh, one of the subscribers to the team room. And I get in there and engage our, our readers down in the comments as often as I can on the articles I write. You can, you, can heckle, you can heckle me and send me tweets and tell me that Kurt's a white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can also reach me through the ed- letters to the editor. <laughs> yeah, you, you reach me through your editor, Jack, or send him your hate mail. Well, the um, – oh, no. The last one I got or Jack got was uh, somebody getting really mad because I called the, the PKK communists. And I was oh, like, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, but I was like, but they are. They're, like, they're, look at, and they're I sent the really guy not mail communist a picture anymore. of their. Come on, look at their flag. Yeah, it's vestigial because they they were communists. They were hardcore Marxists when they formed. I mean, I know they're de- democratic and federalists now, but like, if you look at, um, well, there's still like hardcore, you know, socialist aspects of it. There's aspects of it that are still uh, they take things from Marxism. Um, like if you, I mean, no, well, you were in Iraq, so you didn't see it, but if you see the, uh, YPG or YPJ doing like drills and stuff like that, and they like out in the morning, they'll be doing rifle drills. Um, and they'll be doing their like chants and singing their songs and stuff. It's all very vestigial of, you know, Marxism and communism. It's all, it's all there. Um, but they don't necessarily practice that ideology anymore. No. Well, great having you on, man. Regardless of me breaking your balls, having to follow the greatness of Brad Thor, I I, <laughs> I think Kurt's great, uh, and I look forward to seeing you again in person, yeah. man. We had some great you know conversations over at Shot Show in the, in the ghettos of Vegas. Oh my God! Every time, <laughs> <Yeah>. apparently. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Kurt. Thanks. All right, I'll see you guys later. All right, later, man. Uh, great having Kurt on. There's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches, and that, of course, is Crate Club. I'm looking forward to that future collaboration we're doing with NFW Watches for an exclusive Crate Club watch for premium tier members. That's coming soon. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be, and gift options are available as well. You can check that out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. For you dog owners, check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you, and your dog will appreciate it as well, of course, and that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, as a reminder for those listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops Channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops Channel, and that's at specopschannel.com, and take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. And check out the app. Developed by Chris, who I was just talking about, who's in the Philippines. Chris is great. Uh, He's behind all the website design we do. Uh, Now, before we wrap this up, I have two other segments I want to do. So first, Jack's daughter has been patiently sitting here that entire interview, which was great. And I guess today did you guys just finish seeing Jurassic World? No, no, we saw it it like the day after it came out, actually. So I know uh, she wanted to talk about it. All right. Do you want to tell people about Jurassic World? Yeah. What do you want to tell them? That it was very fun and and there was lots of lots and lots of dinosaurs there. 
some of the dinosaurs kill a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of bad guys, though. Yeah. Like Rexy, he ate the bad guy at the end. Yeah. And then at the end, they find a new home. They find a new home there. Have you have you seen the other Jurassic Parks, or was was this the first? No, she saw. We watched Jurassic World, the first one together. Yeah. What's your favorite dinosaur in the in the movies? Um, blue. Blue, the Velociraptor. Yeah. Who's friends with the guy? What's his name? Owen. Uh, yeah. He has a raptor buddy. Yeah. What were some of your favorite parts of the movie? Um, the end when. Um, Rexy killed the bad guy, and when they show all the dinosaurs um, in the cages. And they escape? Yeah. And Blue kills the bad dinosaur. Yeah. That was pretty cool, too. And he was up the rooftop. Yeah. It's actually like two movies in one, because in the beginning they're on, on the island, and then the second half of the movie they're actually at this like big mansion. Yeah. And she's also a big comic book enthusiast, thanks to you. Yeah. You want to t- tell them what your favorite comic books are? Um, Batgirl, Wood Woman, um, Two Titans, and that's it. Yeah, those ones are pretty good. Teen Titans is cool. And I got you the new Catwoman comic book today. Yep, it's the first series. Yeah, the first in the series. Yeah, you were Batgirl one Halloween. Yeah. What are you going to be next Halloween? Um. Velociraptor? No. <laughs> I'm going to be the sister in Incredibles. Oh, the, the character in the Incredibles yeah. in the movie. Violet. Violet? Okay. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Very yeah. cool. Anything else you want people to know about Jurassic World? No? Okay. Thank you for your review. That So that was a little bonus interview <laughs> for you guys in the audience. And wh- and actually, I was asking you, like, what did you genuinely think of Jurassic World? Because this could be like, I always refer to back when I saw the Mario Brothers movie with my grandpa, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. My grandpa did not feel the same way. Dude, that Mario Brothers movie was weird. Yeah. That was a weird movie. Another movie that had a bunch of dinosaurs for no apparent reason, but... um. I like Jurassic World. I like both of them. I mean, if you go into it like expecting some kind of like art house movie, you're going to be disappointed. Um, but if you just want to go and like see like a cool action movie with a lot of dinosaurs in it and stuff like that, you know, like good summer action adventure flick, then you'll really like it. Awesome. I still have to see it. The, the most recent thing I saw was the Mr. Rogers documentary, which was actually ex- extremely good. I loved it. Yeah. Um, Go see it. Go see the Mr. Rogers documentary if you're listening. Won't you be my neighbor? I I didn't realize how revolutionary of a show he was doing because I was so so young when it was going on. Oh, yeah. Um, And the last thing uh, with that as well, we wanted to do a new segment, as we said, uh, suggested by Mike DiStefano. So woke. Uh, the, the hashtag so woke. Or what did you say? Woke So cards. woke, you're asleep. So what, what did uh, we want to cover for this one? Uh, that, Michael DeSefano. That cat at Vox who wrote an article like, Happy Fourth of July, here's why your country sucks and we never should have uh, you know split with the British Empire. <laughs> and it's like, thanks, guy. <laughs> and so he wrote this entire article 
this dude, I can't remember his name, Matt something, Matthew something. And he wrote this article about how it was a mistake, uh, how American independence was a mistake. Because had we stuck with the British Empire, he thinks that um, we would have done away with slavery a lot earlier. Maybe. Debatable. It might have gone on a lot longer because we're part of a globe-spanning empire. Um, and the British Empire would have had a lot you know, less of an incentive to do away with slavery because they had the American colony. Yeah. Um, so it's just an article that's filled with conjecture and revisionist history. And then he says... Uh, You'd have a white royal family running things a lot longer. A than, hereditary yeah. monarch running things. But that would have been good. But th- that's the thing. I mean, again, you're so woke, you're asleep. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're trying so hard to be trendy and avant-garde and portray your country in a negative light that you've just come full circle and you're a monarchist. <laughs> like, really, you like, well, yeah, the British royal family isn't racist either. <laughs> There's no, no racism there, folks. And then his other argument was that um, had we not split with the Brits, that um, we would have been nicer to the Native Americans. They're like, brother, do you understand that the British were the first ones to use the concentration camp? They used it against the South Africans during the Boer War. Like, where did, where did people come up with this stuff? They're trying so hard to be woke. Yeah. That they, they're falling flat on their face. It's, it's embarrassing to watch them flail around like this. And then his third argument was, uh, oh, that a constitutional monarchy is better than a constitutional republic. Brother, are you smoking crack? Uh, he, he says that the, the government, uh, that ha- if, we had a, if we had stayed with England, we would have a parliamentary system, which is better than our current republic uh, presidential uh, system that we have. It's like, dude, do you know anything about the parliamentary systems in Europe? Like, they, they're, they're shit. They can't get anything done. You have to form a coalition government. And, I mean, Italy did not have a government for, like, a freaking year. And now they finally formed a government. And they have, like, right now they have, like, a pretty, like, right-leaning, yeah. some would even say, like, crypto-fascist government. I, I mean, there's a lot to be said for our presidential system and its ability to get stuff done that you don't see with these shaky parliamentary systems that they have over in Europe. So, I mean, dude, I I don't even know what to say. I I think that article was really just trying to get clicks on the 4th of July, really. Like, what can I do to really piss people off? Hmm. And and it'll get retweets from the, you know, other side of of the spectrum. Everyone trying to prove, everyone trying to prove how woke they are. All the, all the woke tards are going to retweet it. So this is kind of a, I guess it's a, so woke slash throat punch of the week. You're so woke, you're asleep. It's sad. Um, it's sad, guys. All right. Well, thanks for checking this out. I didn't, you know what? I should have acknowledged it at 365, but we're in episode 367, which is insane to me because I was thinking this means you could literally go an entire year plus now every day listening to us ramble. That's insane. I know. It's just hours upon hours of us <laughs> mindlessly going on. <laughs> I hope it's not totally mindless. There, there, are, there are stretches, you know, what, yeah. five minutes at a stretch where it's pretty mindless. But, I mean, there's, no, some, of course. there's some thought behind the hour. <laughs> I would hope so. Within the hour, there is surely something interesting. Yeah. It is crazy, though, when you think about it because, like, you have your daughter here. And, yeah. And I think people think of legacy and stuff like that. You know, I, I don't have... Maybe actually, when I was at the very end of his life, I recorded something on my phone of like my grandpa for like two minutes. But 
it's a pretty crazy legacy to think if people want to go back and they want to listen to Jack Murphy's voice years down the line. That's kind of frightening. There's going to be an insane amount of material I ne- out there I never really that they can't even get through. Way. I never really thought of it that way. <laughs> and then if they're and then when they're done with this, they could watch the Tesla show, you know, and then they could watch the inside the team rooms. I mean, it's it's an insane amount of archived audio and video. I am just one disembodied voice amongst all of the media content out there. Yeah. You can find me if you look for me, though. Well, um, the last thing I'll shamelessly plug, I randomly decided recently to write an article for the first time. Yeah. And it is titled The Mind-Muscle Connection, Unplugging and Escaping Through Exercise on SoftRep. I've really uh, appreciated the response that I've gotten. And I think some people liked it because they were like, oh, you know, when I hear about mindfulness, it sounds like some hippie bullshit. But they were like, you were able to break it down in a way that it, it didn't. And hopefully, uh, yeah, you know what was interesting actually is um, Cody, um, I'm forgetting his name. I know Matt Vierkan, who served with Bo Bergdahl, but we've also had Cody on the podcast. Oh, Cody from, yeah, he's in yeah. Bergdahl's platoon. Yeah, so yeah. he messaged me and he was like, yeah, I'm a huge believer in the whole mind-muscle connection and mindfulness. And he was like, I'm over 200 pounds with abs and workout all the, I'm like, that's insane, first of all. But I think it's cool because you do read about this mindfulness stuff on websites into yoga. And, you know, it's it doesn't typically hit our demographic of yeah, yeah. military guys or people interested in the military. So I was, uh, you know, I thought it was cool to write an article about something that's not really touched on by us. But but is actually practiced by a lot of people in that community. Um, you know, when we just had Todd... Apolsky. Apolsky. Apo- yeah. So when we had Todd on, I think he's a believer in that. And then also Brandon uh, Webb, who runs the company, I mean, he's written articles about how yoga has changed his life and about uh, meditation and things like that. It's not, uh, like I kind of say in the article, it, it's, I think people think these are ideas are not real, but they've been practiced for like literally thousands of years by everybody from like Christians to atheists to Buddhists. It's more and important now than ever with the amount of like white noise in people's lives. Yeah, which is the big thing that I say. You know, I definitely try my best to not be this guy. But when you go out with people often, they're not even making eye contact with you. It's just like notification after notification on their phone. Uh, and and then you go to a concert with someone and they have to like video every single song, take yeah. a picture of it. Like, dude, enjoy the moment. And, and, and I really do think that people not living in the moment, not enjoying the moment is why we have so much depression and, you know, at the worst end of that suicide. You see I think people spazzing out every day on social media. Just like it's like so obvious, like you need a psychiatrist, man. Yeah. Like you, How can you live your life like this? Well, you know, people might be surprised because he is on the left side of the spectrum. But I thought he did. a. I mentioned he did a great interview on Howard Stern that I thought was just very honest. And one of the things he said that stood out to me was, as I said to you, was the quote where he was like, you know, no matter how, how woke you are, we all have to sleep sometimes. But the example that he gave is uh, he's like, there's literally people who will walk through the streets like n- oblivious to like homeless people they're tripping over while tweeting that, you know, you use the wrong gender pronoun. Oh, yeah. And they're outraged. Oh, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So <laughs> no, that's exactly what I've been trying to talk about. And I mean, we can get into it another time or at the end of this podcast. But talking about how, you know, we have this whole generation of, you know, bourgeoisie woke activists 
who have uh, they're completely disconnected from the working class. They have nothing in common with the working man. If they spent a single day with union guys, I think their heads would explode. Yeah. Because I don't know if you've ever been on a construction site or you've been I've around heard work. You, you, <laughs> you've been around steam fitters sure. or steel workers. Like they are not gender pronoun <laughs> guys. That's not now. Nah, it's come home, feet up on the table, crack open a beer, watching the ball game. Maybe even do some cat calling. You might be some cat calls on the work site. I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> you know, I think if you took one of these woke, uh, you know, uh, you know, woke activists out, you know, they're like upper middle class white people and put them around union guys. I think their head would explode like a watermelon with an M80 in the middle. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what you're referring to is, yeah. you know, you're running around scolding people on social media and you're completely oblivious to the actual world that you live in. Yeah. And you especially see it walking around here in New York City. I mean, I really d- I like living on Long Island personally, and I feel like it's a totally different world. Everybody in New York City, like, walks around like they're just angry with the world, I feel like. And when I go to Long Island, which is just like a 40-minute trade ride, at least way more people say hello and are friendly and well, hold you, doors. You, in, out there in Long Island, that's an actual neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're here in Midtown. No one's here except for business, for work. Yeah. So, I mean, but people just, just look pissed. I think they're just busy. Yeah. I think they're just going from one place to the next, and no one really, you yeah, know. Yeah, but there are even times where, like, you hold doors for women here, and they don't even say thank you, or, you know, maybe because you're a misogynist, because you held the door for Again, I, 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 I don't think, see that on I, Long I don't Island, think it's, it's like, I, it's a different place. I don't think it's personal like that. I think it's just people are busy, they're working, and things move very quickly here. Out in Long Island, like I said, you're living in a neighborhood. You're living in, like, an actual community. Even where I live... Out in Brooklyn, I mean, it's more like that. Like the pe- like people actually live there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, th- th- part of the thing that I've said before is the whole um, stereotype is that New Yorkers are assholes and all that. But I think part of it is because I've noticed it with myself. If I walk around New York City and someone stops me, like literally nine out of ten times, it's you oh know, yeah, yeah, asking for change, or you know, do you want to check out this product, or you know, sign this petition for animal rights? Right. So, like, the one time out of ten that someone stops you for like a legitimate, there's been people who have stopped me and they're like, "Hey, I like your t-shirt." They're like, "Hey," and I'm it's like, "What?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, that's yeah, a cool yeah. shirt." Like, and then you just feel like a total jerk. But yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. You've been conditioned. They, to just they just be, want to know where the subway stop is yeah. or something like that. And yeah, and you're like, "Go away! I don't want to talk to you." <laughs> and then you realize, like, I'm that yeah. guy. But yeah, it's yeah. You've been conditioned to be that. Yeah, guy. you're desensitized because you're so used to all the bs that <laughs> yeah that's what i think it is um all right well i uh, uh will end this here because jack's daughter has been patiently honestly waiting hey, for do you want to tell the people on time on target it's our radio motto no <laughs> we're, all right we're, well, we're not on time and off target we've been told that before in reviews you are so off target and not on time right now ian uh, well, enjoy the weekend, everybody. If you're in New York, it's this great warm weather, so enjoy the beach and all that. And for the rest of you not in New York, I don't know, enjoy wherever you are. Ciao. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at SoftRep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.